Welcome to the Tactics Meeting Podcast, Episode 1, GIS in Emergency Response, for January 11th, 2021. I'm Dan Smiley, and I'll be your host as we talk to subject matter experts about response tactics and technology. Our guest today is Larry Ryan. Larry uh, is a, a graduate of the University of North Texas. He went to the uh, Texas A&M Military Academy for a number of years when he was working in oil spill response. He got his United States Coast Guard captain's license and then went back to the University of Washington for his degree in GIS and now works in emergency response mapping. Hi, Larry, and welcome to the program. Hi, Dan. Nice to see you again. Thanks. Nice to, nice to see you. Thanks for coming on. So I'm excited about this particular episode because you and I have worked with this GIS mapping for so long. Yeah. Uh, remind me, when was the first time that we we used GIS to do emergency response mapping? 20, 2014 would be the first time we uh, we worked together on on uh, on GIS for for mapping uh, in an exercise. Um, but I, I will remind you that we've known each other for 20 years uh, because we both worked for the Osro Clean Sound Cooperative in, uh, in Puget Sound. So uh, we, we've, we've gone back quite a ways and maintained contact, which I really appreciate. And it's been, it's been, a, fun, it's been a fun journey. And it's amazing how um, valuable these uh, mapping skills have turned out to be in this isolated uh, COVID world. Well, I thought it'd be great. You know, we 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 refer to to mapping these days uh, in the post Deepwater Horizon world as a common operating picture, which is really just a, uh, in my view, a, a map that we're uh, able to share amongst the various sections and the unified command within a response so that we're all working off of the the same map and that sounds easy enough but it's really very very hard and we've spent i guess a, a decade now or nearly so uh, working on processes to make this work when the first one that we did uh, back in uh, 2014 when you were working from your home in New Mexico and we brought you into the truth room or, or what we these days call the sim cell via Skype. And I remember setting up a, I remember setting up a desk kind of in the corner with its own monitor and a microphone. And I said, there's the mapping guy. Yeah. And if you wanna have him put something on the map, if you're deploying boom, if you're, activating a task force, if you've brought a, a new boat online, a tracking buoy, whatever it is, go and sit at the desk and say, hey, Larry, I got something new for the map. Yeah. And then, and then we, were, we were projecting the map that you were developing. Um, actually, they were stills, right? You were giving us snapshots along the um, way. We, we were doing both. We were doing both. We had the stills. Um, but there was there were opportunities when there was an opportunity to share a screen on a different computer. So I had maybe three computers running. One of those computers I would share screen on that Skype call, 
and we could look at a, a live map using uh, at that time, you know, we were going back back and forth between Google Earth and uh, QGIS. So we were, I was using the QGIS application at that time. Okay. So most of what we're doing today, we do in Esri GIS, which yeah. as I understand it is really the industry standard. It's the underlying um, system of most of the mapping that we we see on the internet and, and, and other places, but what is QGIS and why did you decide to use it? Um, at that time, QGIS, well, and still, it's an open source platform, open source GIS platform with a huge um, user and development uh, community. And they're all extremely helpful, extremely knowledgeable, and they have built these different applications and just given it to the world. To use for free. And a lot of what we do see on, on the internet is as regenerated. Um, but I would say a lot of times also there's, there's quantum uh, GIS or, or QGIS in, involved. If not, um, you might be looking at a QGIS map and thinking it's an Esri map because they've, the development has gone uh, so far and it's, uh, it's still a great application that I use. And another reason that I used it, other than being free, uh, was uh, it's cross-platform. So you can use it on a Mac. You can use it on a, 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 a Windows machine. You can use it on uh, Ubuntu, whatever, whatever you're running, you, know, you, can, you, can, you can run it. So it's, uh, it's pretty friendly. Well, that's that's pretty cool. I, I guess when most people are looking at maps on the internet, it doesn't occur to them to say, "Well, that's an Esri map, right?" They just mm -hmm. they just they just see a map. Well, well, most people only think of Windows and and Mac as the computer operating systems. Almost all of the web pages that we we see in the world are actually running off of Linux servers, which mm -hmm. is uh, Ubuntu that you mentioned is simply a a, a flavor of yeah. of the Linux operating system, right? So yeah. you were you were at Clean Sound Cooperative. You were you were stationed in Seattle. You were a responder. You were a licensed captain. What got you interested in GIS? What sent you back to the University of Washington to to study graphic information or ge geographic information systems? I was put on a project, and you may have been my uh, uh, you may have been the one that assigned me to it, which was great. Um, and I was driving the boat uh, with these while with the state uh, representatives to these different little areas where they were looking uh, to develop new area contingency plans, new boom deployment uh, uh, specific areas that, that where boom would be deployed in the event of a pipeline breaking upriver or, or some other disaster in the area, another emergency. And it was in this process that, that um, you know, I was looking at the books that, that these, uh, these scientists were referencing, and I was just noticed kind of this, what looked like a flat file. I mean, it looked like a, a giant book of, of Excel pages, but I, I, I knew that there was more behind it. And I started talking to uh, one of the scientists and they talked to me about GIS. And, you know, one thing led to another. I started doing some research um, realizing that GIS was kind of behind a lot of the work 
I was already doing. I mean, I was doing the part on the water, the physical work, but a lot of the, the area contingency plans, the GRPs, uh, the nautical charts I was referencing, all of that information was intricately tied to databases and maps. And um, that's what led me to, to kind of dig a little bit deeper. And, and all of a sudden it became a bit of a passion. So I wanted to marry those two, these new acquired uh, computer skills, these GIS skills with the 10 plus years I had of uh, working and responding to oil spills on the water. That was, that's the career I wanted to build. You know, I've often thought that if I was starting over, GIS would be a, a place to start because I liked that um, a connection of, of mapping and, and technology. And it's great that we've had a, a chance to, to really work with some of that stuff um, over the last couple of, couple of years. Um, so with, with that, what was your first big GIS project after you, after you started moving down this path? Well, I got lucky. I, when, when I finished the project at, at the UW, um, I, I actually didn't even get to go through the ceremony because I was working on the Deepwater Horizon and was stationed down in, uh, in Grand Isle. And uh, so I got everything in the mail, you know, but, you know, it was fine. I got to finish the project um, at the UW and, and uh, get the certificate. Um, and I, I was really hoping to carve out a little job and with the Osro that I was that I was working for, and it's just there there wasn't that opportunity, so um, I uh, I just kind of applied for a data grunt job at uh, at Google <laughs> uh, in in Bothell. Um, it was actually through a a tech placement, uh, like a temp agency that placed tech people, and. Um, it just turned out that, that Google was hiring a bunch of people to come on and help them with uh, developing different applications that they were building. And, and so I ended up going in as like this, you know, data grunt and, and just doing menial tasks and learning, uh, learning so much that I hadn't, hadn't really learned before, not necessarily about maps, but about computers themselves and how you can't really break this thing. You know, you can mess it up, but there's, there's ways to fix it. So a lot of the fears were dispelled uh, during, that, during that time and it was great. Um, and uh, uh, when I left though, I ended up uh, actually kind of uh, getting a bit of a management role within, with that tech agency. They, they allowed me to become part of more projects and I ended up being a part of a, a really big uh, group of people that I was managing about 60 people uh, under me. So it was a lot of fun. And that was, that was kind of my first big mapping computer job after leaving uh, in the Osro, leaving the water. And oh. then from there, I started, I started my own business um, and uh, received a call from, from NJ Resources, whom you were working for at the time. And you're the one that brought me on and kind of helped me develop this and uh, started doing more jobs together. And uh, that led to creating a, creating a business and, and uh, one thing led to another and, and that company ended up hiring me full time. And that's where I am today professionally with NJ Resources. We've worked with a, a number of, of things from trajectories to overflight maps 
to situation maps um, over this last year during the COVID pandemic. We've worked out how to do this mapping within Zoom, within, within Teams. What do you think the biggest challenge has been in bringing this mapping uh, to virtual command posts? Have you had, have you had any difficulty with that? Um, initially, I think um, being remote uh, during COVID, it wasn't such a um, it wasn't such a setback for myself because we had started doing that back in 2014, participating in projects uh, and not traveling to them, having to share my screen with a group of people that you know I don't know and they're across the country. Um, and I and and over the the past few years, I have done it repeatedly, and not just sharing what I'm doing here in my office uh, with someone across the country, but uh, across the world, um, and from you know different parts of Asia, uh, uh, Eastern Europe. So it's it's it it hasn't been such a, a big adjustment. Um, but the demands on the GIS uh, and, and on the map itself have become greater during this uh, time because everyone is now isolated. Everyone is now just looking at their little screen. They're not, we're not all co-located in these incident command posts where you might look at a map and you can talk to someone else about what are you looking at? Can you help me interpret what I'm seeing up on that wall? You know, we're, we're kind of in these little bubbles and that's been a big challenge I think is the, um, the ability to communicate uh, and, and, and make that communication available to everyone simultaneously. I find myself repeating a lot of the information that I've already given to, to a, a group of people that needed clarification on something. So those are, those are some of the, the, the challenges I've uh, had during this change. Good. In the last worst case drill we did, rather than being in, and we did it on teams, and so we had a number of channels set up. And in this particular one, we had a situation unit channel along with a planning section channel, operations section, a unified command. And generally we would think about putting uh, the GIS mapping function in the situation unit, which would have been having, having you in that, in that channel. But we were so concerned that you wouldn't end up knowing what was going on that really, instead we put you in operations. Mm -hmm. And we did the same thing with, uh, with Jen West, a, who was operating world track web doing the resource track, really the resource unit leader. We put them in the operations channel as well so that you were uh, virtually shoulder to shoulder as it, as it were, along with the rest of the uh, operations folks. And you would pop in and out between there and, uh, and the meeting room where you had to display the the uh, map, the common operating picture for the various uh, meetings, command and general staff, uh, tactics meeting, planning meeting, et cetera. How did you find that that worked for you? 
Well, just like when we're in a co-located in, in, a, in a command post, being close to operations, being close to resources, having my ear to both worlds is, is definitely a benefit. It keeps the map well informed. Um, so it worked really well. That was, I don't, I, I personally don't like being isolated um, from the other sections. Um, it, it's, the, the map isn't informed that way. You have to, you have to get that information. It's gotta be coming in and, and it's best if it's coming in from, you know, directly from the horse's mouth, right? Rather than, than, than hearing it through, through, uh, you know, uh, someone assisting someone, or maybe just kind of hear a rumor going around, which is much more likely to happen in a real command post rather than our virtual world that we're in now. But it's still, it still worked out really well being right there with them. And um, one thing, a, a technical note, uh, uh, it was using Esri and using the, their, their ArcGIS online application and the ability to build um, sort of these story maps, if you will, um, or um, these uh, operation dashboard, you can, the way I was doing it is was building these ops dashboards and um, sharing those uh, links. And we were actually displaying them in the different rooms. So I wasn't having to actually drive each one, right? I'm driving the main one uh, that no one else is really looking at. And that's that's driving all of the other maps that everyone is looking at. And another thing that's very uh, interesting too, and this is something that we've developed, right? Like, let's say you're, you're most concerned, you're in the environmental unit and you're most concerned about the ESI. Um, you're, you're most concerned about, hey, did we see whales? Did we see something? Did we see birds? Those features uh, were, were tailored to this specific section, right? So there's no need for, for the environmental unit, unless they wanted to see all of the other things that are on the map, they don't. Th those maps were tailored for those sections. They had the flexibility to turn on different features, but um, but they were tailored for them. That was that was another good thing we did. You gave us five separate logins to the to the Esri online tool in order mm -hmm. for people to be able to gain access. So when we were using those logins and I, I, I set one up for command and one for operations, one for planning, one for um, environmental. When they logged in, were they each seeing something different by default or did they have to select something that they wanted to see? How did we set that up? Um, so NJR has a number of viewer licenses with ArcGIS Online. And those were the licenses that we assigned to the different channels in MS Teams. They were not tailored specifically. Uh, and, and as a viewer, they really don't have control unless they ask the map uh, operator, which was me, the display operator, to change those features. Um, but we did do a few things um, for the SimCell Truth map that was not on the uh, the, the main common operating picture. Um, so they were, there was some tailoring, some specifics that were, were different for each section. But essentially I was driving all of the maps using different uh, systems and different logins. Yeah, that worked well for the drill. 
mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have to clone yourself for <laughs> for a, a response. Yeah. 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 So so when we when we pull you in and you're activated, so so you're you're on my you're on my phone list, um, and you know I might wake you up at two o'clock in the morning to start mm-hmm. to start mapping. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope you're developing some bench strength to, to yeah. deal with that if it goes beyond 24 hours. Well, the beauty of, of GIS, just like uh, any relational uh, d- database, right, is you can have these, you can have these shells, if you will, these empty uh, projects ready like to deploy. Pardon? Like my brain, right? This empty shell, like my, <laughs> like my head, no, my... But, but this ready to deploy geodatabase uh, that's ready to go anywhere in the world. It's all, we've got all of these empty features just ready to go. And that's what, uh, you know, what I do for NJR. I've, I, have this, uh, I have this ready to go database uh, that if you do indeed give me a shout at two in the morning because we have an incident, um, it, it should take long to get up and running and get 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 a map in front of uh, get a, get a map in front of the incident uh, management team. So if I call you at two o'clock in the morning and I say, Larry, um, we're we're activating you for the common operating picture. We've had a an oil spill in Anacortes, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, we we are uh, deploying the initial uh, geographic response plan, booming strategies. Uh, per the area uh, plan, and I've got these boats that are underway. How long would it take you to have a map ready for people to view? What do for you that, uh, for Anacortes and for Puget Sound, it's not going to take me. It's, it's less than less than an hour to have that ready to go. You just, uh, as I said, I have that information. Um, downloaded from the different sources, particularly Irma, um, uh, and also uh, from from Whirl and uh, from the WRRL, um, and all of this information is ready to go and be deployed for a particular location, and we could get something pushed up into my ArcGIS online account and publish it out and. Uh, we could probably have have something in front of your incident management team within, I'd say, thirty minutes to an hour. the The core data is there. What isn't available, what isn't ready, is where's the oil? That's the most important thing, right? Where is the oil? That's the information I need to populate. But I know once we get that information, we can show the relationships, the spatial relationships that are so important when you're looking at this. We can answer some key questions. Where's that oil going and what's in the way? What's it threatening? What, what environmental uh, uh, locations, what, what, what sensitive environmental locations are being threatened? What economic, environment, or what economic uh, locations are, are going to be threatened? Where is it going? That's the biggest question, right? What what are the currents doing? Where's the wind blowing it? Once I get that, then 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 this map starts really telling the story, really helping inform your your management team, making well-informed holistic decisions about what do we do? How do we contain this? How, how do we how do we clean this up? So are the Esri viewers when you're when you're pushing out this map. Now we got a we got a URL 
for where the the map was going to be displayed and we got a, a log in can i get this on my phone can i look at it on my ipad can i can i look at it in the field yeah yeah as long as you have a, a as long as you have a connection you have that um that url and you have the secure password because all of this is behind um, ArcGIS's security. This is all password protected. This is not going to go out. Uh, and, and of course, if we were doing like a public map, if we were doing a public display, we could make all of this information public, but we keep all of our stuff behind the wall, very secure because we don't want to alarm anyone, um, uh, you know, until it's necessary. Um, if it's a real incident, but most of the time we're doing these exercises. So we, we, there's no sense in causing panic when there's no need to panic. So this is all very secure. It's password protected, but yes, you can use your mobile device. You can use your iPad. Uh, yeah. And cross platform too, because it's, it's in the web, it's in the cloud. But when, when the COVID pandemic first began and we, we um, were, were watching it take hold, um, I logged into a map that was being displayed and updated by the Mayo Clinic. Did you see that map? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was the one. Is that it's an example of a public Esri map? Did, is that being, or is that something else? No, no, no. That is, that is. And ArcGIS, uh, Esri, they do so much for the emergency response community worldwide. They have a whole part of their, um, their, their website dedicated to emergency operations. They have geo databases available for you to just download, you know, and, and start populating with data and build out, build out your maps. Not, not everyone uses them. I, I, I personally ha haven't used them. I've, I've played with them and I've learned a lot from them, but um, the, the, they're not what I use to, to deploy for an oil spill response. Um, but but yeah, that's that's an example of of an Esri map that is is kind of an operations dashboard that has all of these infographics associated with the map that might be in the center, and you've got these maybe pie charts or or counters, um, maybe some maybe some graphs um, or some numbers, you know, some sort of counters, which is something that we constructed in our common operating pictures in California this year. Uh, using uh, some counters between the different statuses of the geographic response plans that were being deployed or planned or that were in progress. And this really informed operations and the entire team. What's, what's going on out there in the field? What is, what is being done with the boom? Well, you know, you can just look at the common operating picture and, and not only have to look at the legend to determine, okay, well, that boom is red. That means what? Well, there were these infographic tables up there that said, you know, if the number's red, it told you that's the boom that's planned. Well, we've got 20,000 feet of boom planned. Well, how much boom is in progress? Well, that's a different color and that was right underneath. And then how much is completed? That's a different color and that was right underneath. So that's that's an example of some of the, uh, some of the different, uh, like, yeah, infographics that you can add to the map. And that's what you're also seeing on that COVID-19, like, unfortunately, how many deaths, you know, how many, you can also like scroll through it and, and isolate on a country and see what the status of COVID-19 is in that country. And, the, you know, uh, so it's, it's really a great tool. It's a fantastic tool. And it, it, 
I, I just know this much of it too, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing. I love learning about it. I love uh, uh, learning, learning as much as I can about it to, to sort of bring into the, our little world of emergency response with oil. But as you can see, you can apply it across the, across the board. Yeah, I looked at um, uh, uh, maps for Washington and Oregon during the wildfires, where the, where the fires were, what the evacuation areas were. I think this is another example of an Esri, a public map that was, was being published. It had evacuation points, um, where people could go if they were evacuating you know, with a camper trailer or where they could go if they were evacuating without. Um, mm -hmm. showed the routes that were open, the routes that were, were closed, and it was you know, updating fairly often, you know, once an hour or so. It was, it was, it was pretty impressive what yeah. they were displaying. Well, you said you don't use the, the built-in data that Esri has for emergency response. What have you developed? You know, when I'm looking at task forces or, uh, um, oil spill response vessels, skimming vessels, work boats, uh, uh, on water storage. Um, what have you developed to display that on the map? Well, so I do use a lot of data from NOAA's IRMA site and I bring that into the geo database, but I have learned over the years um, sort of the our industry standards, what people like to see on the map. And I try to, I try to give them a little bit more each time, every time, you know, learn a little bit more, give them a little bit more information, listen to the hot washes. But, but I guess the, the schema of the databases has changed over the years. It's just gotten better and better and better. The, uh, the domains that I've developed um, to allow for quicker, quicker mapping, much, much more, uh, rapid, you know, I'm not having to build things as often anymore because I have these, I have this database ready to deploy. And it's very much like a data, uh, an emergency response database that I could download from Esri, but there's their data, there's so much more there than I really need. We, we, you know, we're dealing with an oil spill and maybe just a little part of Anacortes. And, and of course that, that does affect all of Puget Sound. I'm not. I'm not minimizing the effects of an oil spill. Don't get me wrong. What, but but as far as our immediate response and supplying a, an informative tool like a map in a GIS, um, I really just need uh, a, the core features as you just mentioned. I need the task forces. I need to know the oil, where the oil is, um, and those those environmentally and economically sensitive sites and show the spatial relationships between all of that information. Um, you know, there are times when, when I've been asked to do sort of like terrestrial mapping where, you know, you might have to show some roadblocks, um, staging areas, things like that. Th th that's all fairly simple. But, but the things that are happening on the water, those are the core features that I've sort of tailored and, and I know how to work with them because I've built them. Um, I didn't want to bring down a, a database and have to learn that database. So, so I just kind of built my own. And it's been pretty effective. And the, the dashboard piece that shows how much boom is planned for deployment, how much boom is in the process of being deployed, how much uh, boom uh, has been deployed and where it is and what division it's in and how we break that down is, 
super useful, but that's not all of that dashboard is displaying. What what right. have you come up with at this point? What is the latest iteration of the dashboard? And it's it's pulling the data from within the database itself, right? Or or some of it anyway, from within right. the GIS database. Not all of it, but some of it. Yeah. So these counters are, are great. Um, they're, they're actually like little widgets or something that are available up in ArcGIS online uh, in the ops dashboard. And you can, you can configure these data, this data by setting up different queries. And the queries are based on statuses. And, uh, and of course, those statuses are maintained by me um, and, and making those changes. Um, but then the counters sort of just take over. The query takes over and it, it, it will add or subtract or whatever we need to do. Um, and all of that's done on the back end um, and ready to go again. That's, that's just ready to go. We just turn it on. It's ready to go. Um, but uh, that, and that did take some, you know, time to construct and time to design and develop, but, but um, it's, uh, it's worked out really well. And in addition to that, there's also weather. We provide the, the kind of a snapshot of the weather in our area of operations and uh, some tidal information, the tide predictions, because that's so crucial when you're dealing with a marine oil spill. Um, let's see that we have a few other, oh, and then there's, you know, on the map, we have the task forces and we have the vessels that are responding. We may even have the shoreline protection groups and, and maybe even the the, the boom trailers and so you, you know you can see all of that on the map but but sometimes it's just easier to read that in a like a, in a table and so the latest iteration includes a table that has the uh, resources sort of divided out into these different uh, types where you can get an idea um, that where task force one might be uh, and what what's their current assignment and um, you know you can do that with also the uh, the different vessels as well, the individual vessels. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second, but but that's where we are in the uh, in the in the latest iteration is that sort of that resource resource table being added to the map, not not just a boom counter and boom status counter, but but what are the boats doing, and um, how you know I'm looking at the boat on the map, but I need to I want to find out a little bit more about it. So that's what that table is doing, and that is is kind of based on the ICS 209, uh, the you know the status summary form, and and kind of focusing that and using that as a lens to d further develop the the common operating picture, make it a better tool. Yeah, I found one of the things I find the most difficult is making sure that the common operating picture is truly common, right? What, you know, I'm an operations guy and mm -hmm. I, I need to see things on maps. And if, if I, can't, if I get, can't get the information that I need on the map that the situation unit is, is developing, uh, guess what I do? No guess, Larry. Yeah, yeah. What do I do? I, I think I know, but you're going to go, go to Google Earth, right? I start yeah. doing my own gonna, thing. Yeah, right? you're going to build your own out, thing. Or I toll out a chart and I start mm -hmm. writing on it with a marker or something, right? I start, you know, I'm, I, I default back to some other, some other tool. And as soon as I start doing that, the, the situation map is, is no longer common. The only way it's a common operating picture 
is if operations and command and planning are all looking at the same data. And the moment they're not, it's just a map, right? The only reason to take the three letter word map and create a three letter acronym, COP, or common operating picture, is if it actually has another meaning and provides additional value. Mm -hmm. And I think um, what you've done and what we've done in, in bringing the, uh, the uh, uh, view operator into uh, operations along with the, the uh, resource unit leader and providing those uh, independent logins with a website URL to log in, making it available on individual uh, devices, on being able to display it independently uh, on people's uh, computers while we're working remotely, but uh, in, in separate physical rooms if we're back in a command post uh, uh, working face to face is what makes it common, right? And uh, another thing that's worked out really well, I, I thought for those of you who are working in Microsoft Teams and using that as your virtual command post during this time when we can't work face to face. And, and I've worked with Zoom, I've worked with Teams, I've worked with Adobe Connect, go to meeting, go to training, WebEx, um, uh, 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 Google, whatever it is, Hangouts, right? I mean, I think I, I've used, uh, for the most part, every mainstream group video chat application that's out there to do some kind of, of remote exercise. And it, there's no contest. You know, Teams is the, is the way to go. And I'll tell you why, because uh, in each one of these different uh, rooms, uh, Microsoft calls them channels, but they're separate spaces where things can be stored and displayed. You can display as a, its own window, its own tab, uh, a link to a URL, which means I can take the URL that you've given me to view the common operating picture and I can set up an independent view in the operations channel, in the command channel, in the, you know, in the, in the meeting room channel uh, and, and log into it with the credentials that have been provided. And then there it is, right? I don't need to provide 150 people in the drill with 150 different logins. I can use an independent login for each of those channels. And, you know, I don't think I'll ever do anything else, even when we're back face to face, the ability to, to share within the Teams environment that kind of data, even within a command post, uh, I think is invaluable. And yeah. uh, uh, the technology is just so impressive. It really is. MS Teams is one of the finest products I've, I've encountered. Uh, in a long time. It's really a great product. It's a great app. It's very user-friendly. Uh, there's just not a lot of buttons to learn or anything like that. They've done a great job. So uh, I agree. I, I really like it as well, especially where we are today and not being able to get together. 
um, it's shown how flexible it is because I, I really don't think they designed it to be an oil spill response platform. No. <laughs> but, but, you know, it has worked across so many different industries. People are, 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 are using it everywhere. And I, I'm not the, you know, I'm not here to plug Microsoft, but uh, it's a great product. It really is. No, because I'm a Mac user and have not right. generally been a, been a huge Microsoft fan. And there are problems, right? So, you know, if, if you're outside <laughs> of the organization that the Teams account is for, it can be hard to log in. The Coast Guard has a hard time uh, yeah. logging in. They can't use their Coast Guard email address as the username. They have to use something else. So there, there's themes, things that need to be, be fixed. But when you're trying to display this common operating picture, the ability to create a dedicated web viewer within the virtual environment that then can use the login that's provided has worked really well. I, I did my last infernal drill on Zoom and that was great because the breakout rooms worked really well, but you can't display stuff in this way. And so I've completely moved to Teams internally and um, have been using it for all of my external exercises for the last six months or, or so. So that's made it really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, great tool, great tool. Really helped us out during this time for sure. And, and if we were to respond right now, that would be the platform. Like you said, if we've got something happening in Anacortis and you give me a call, that's our platform. That's where yep. we're going to do it. That's how we're going to help this situation. Yep. That's I've already be- got a dedicated team that's set up for response. It's already got all of the different channels, command operations, logistics, finance, uh, situation. It's already got the, the web viewers in it. I probably have to update the links to whatever it is that we're doing. That's probably the one thing I'll have to do after I activate you. Say, hey, give me a fresh... URL to the viewer and I'll just stick mm-hmm. them in there and then it'll run. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I can, what's nice there is that I can, I can share, then share that with uh, the Coast Guard. I can share it with, with the state on scene coordinator and, and other support people. And again, that's what makes it common, right? Without yeah. that, uh, it's just a map. And you know, it, it only has value if people can see it and interact with it and, and update it, right? That's, that's the thing. You know, how do we update it? When we were doing these uh, uh, truth maps, as I mentioned before, you know, we'd, we'd set up a station at, with its, its own computer and microphone and camera uh, in one part of the truth room where you were logged in on Skype. And that's how we updated it, right? Although mm-hmm. I, I remember yelling from across the room, I'd say, Larry, put up the 1200 trajectory, right? Yeah. And, you, yeah. and the mic was good enough. I think I was using one of those Logitech uh, uh, conference base stations with a camera on it. and the Yeah, yeah. It was like this little telescope thing that, that had a big eye on it. it. Sort of looked like something from Star Wars. It does. It reminded me of whatever was in the, was in the garbage chute in the yeah. first star wars yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. Up yeah, and I looked around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it would come uh, apart to what i put it in the case and you'd you'd unscrew the little ball that had the that had the uh i think it was like 160 degree of viewing angle camera on it and then you take the little stem that it was sitting on off and then you put all that and then you'd have the base station and you pack it all away it wasn't it wasn't super convenient 
but you could put it, it in the cool. corner of the room and and you could see pretty much the whole room right yeah yeah in a fishbowl you know i had yeah. that fish fish eye uh, lens so everybody was kind of wider at the end you know the corners. right, right. you came <laughs> but you it looked great you looked fatter you know, so you'd lose you lose weight as you came towards the camera right Exactly. <laughs> but that worked. Like, Larry, I need the I need the trajectory for 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 uh, twenty hundred. Larry, can you put up the overflight? Larry, yeah. can you give me the can you give me the GRPs? Larry, can That's you exactly. give me the, the wildlife map? You know, and it would just change on the screen. Yeah. Now and then we it's... were using another tool which we don't have to go into, but now it's it would be Ezra. Yeah. But, but I will say, I still use QGIS daily. Uh, there's just, it's just a great tool. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll never abandon it. I, I'm, I'm a devoted fan and a devoted user. Uh, the project is amazing and the, the user, the users behind it and developers behind it are, are you know, they're kind of like my heroes, you know? It, Kind of like my GIS, my GIS uh, superheroes. So um, it's a great project, and I'll, I'll always continue to use it. I use it and support uh, what I what I do in Esri. You know, just transfer the data from. Yeah, there's other GIS tools that you know I use. I was on uh, 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 Noah's Web Gnome even mm -hmm. yesterday doing. Uh, a trajectory. I needed to put a 48-hour trajectory into an, an into an oil spill plan, and so I was in there, uh, you know, getting a getting a base map, getting a current file, uh, selecting a non-weathering oil because I wanted it to go as far as it could be, changing the the uh, dispersant or the the um, uh, what do you call it when it's the, the value when it's spreading out dispersion the dispersion value dispersion values yeah yeah A adding in the uncertainty particles have you used that software much what do you think yeah no uh, web gnome is is fantastic it's a great tool and uh, you know it's funny a lot of people have baseball caps with their favorite you know football teams or baseball teams or, or whatever. My favorite cap is a NOAA cap. I, I have I have a baseball cap with the NOAA emblem on it because those, um, I just feel so lucky that that organization is uh, that and NASA, but there's my geek side showing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but but NOAA is a, a great, great organization, great, great uh, scientific community and the tools that they have provided to us uh, and that, that are available and you just have to teach yourself how to use them, you know. There's and there's all kinds of tutorials out there. WebNome is a is a fantastic tool. It's a it's a great tool. You can build a trajectory anywhere in the world using WebNome. Yeah, the hard part is finding uh, a water prime mover, right? Mm -hmm. So I was looking for a prime mover for a, a river not that long ago, and I I just couldn't find one. Um, so inland that, that inland is difficult. Inland is definitely a challenge uh, using using WebDome. Uh, further inland you go, um, but there are ways. There are ways to uh, to. I mean, you can kind of fudge it. That's why you have a job, right? <laughs> you go in yeah. there, give it a spanking. Tell it tell it what to do. <laughs> 
I mean, we all know the water's going to end up in the ocean, right? So you just <laughs> right can only go one way in a river. Well, not complete. Yeah. Well, unless it's tidal, right? I was able to find a model that'll that uh, did the Columbia River as far up as the first dam. So that was super useful. Oh, that is, yeah. So that that was great, and uh, a tide and current model. Um, it was actually labeled for for Oregon, but it covered all of the Oregon, Washington coast, and all of Puget Sound, all the way up uh, Rosario Strait and the Straits of Georgia to Vancouver, British Columbia. So it wasn't intuitive from its from its naming convention how much data it was going to have in it. Right. So that's from no, uh, the Goods uh, website, right? Yeah, the of goods. Yeah. And there's so much, there's so many environmental parameters available at that website that you can, you can download and, uh, and bring into your model. Uh, and that's using, you can, you can also use the goods data for, you know, a very expensive uh, trajectory software like uh, RPS's oil map. Oh, can you? I didn't know you could use that. Yeah, because it, it all comes down as a net, net CDF files, and that's what a well map reads as well. The nice thing about WebGnome, though, is, hey, man, it's in the cloud, and they built it for us to use. It's free, and that's fantastic that we can have a, a tool like that available just by launching uh, Chrome or, or Firefox or, or Safari, whatever your preferred browser is. and uh, you know, throwing together the parameters and building a quick trajectory. Now they give you all of the disclaimers about, you know, being careful how you use it, but uh, they have very good parameter data available to feed that model. Yeah, which works great. I use it for planning and I use it for, for exercises, but I should be really clear for, for people who are listening, for a response, I'm gonna get it done by the NOAA Scientific Support Coordinator, right? Yeah. I mean, they're the scientific experts. They're I, when I'm doing it for a drill and I, I want it to go north and I want it to uh, impact a, a specific shoreline to meet the objectives of the exercise, I can add wind and change its direction and do other, other things. But, but uh, to really predict where oil is going to travel on the water in real time requires some uh, scientific knowledge and some GIS nerd chops and you know know what they're the guys right yes so, they are I don't pretend that I'm able to do trajectories for an actual oil spill nor would I try to do so right yeah and I'm right there with you as well I mean I'm I, I know how to run the software I can build some really cool trajectories but in no way as you just said, should they be used for an actual response? <clears throat> and I will say the same thing holds for my GIS skills. This is a work, I'm always a work in progress. I mean, there's so much to learn in GIS and it changes daily. It is, you know, it's, it's a growing industry that changes daily. So I'm reading constantly. I'm reading blogs. I'm on the Esri site. Um, and like I said, I, I'm, I'm, so I subscribe to a number of listservs and for both QGIS and, and Esri. And I, I have learned so much just today, you know, just, just following emails and figuring out how to do different things. 
Also, the clients that I've worked with, I've been lucky to work with a, some really strong GIS uh, uh, clients that, that have a, a wealth of knowledge that they're willing to share. And we just kind of we, we work together to, to make these products, to make these maps more informative and a better tool for the users. Well, like the the uh, widget dashboard that we finally landed on, I mean, we were doing a little bit of that, but really I stole that idea from a client. Right? I'm like, Larry, yeah. take a look at this. This is super cool. And you're like, oh yeah, that's just an Esri dashboard. I can do that. I'm like, really? You can do that? Well, yeah. then, well then here's five more hours to the project. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of that was already in the can, you know, that there's, there's just, where's the opportunity? When do we unroll this thing and bring it out and say, look, check this out. It was a great opportunity. Um, but knowing how to do all of that stuff and working with those different tools that are provided in, in Agol, that, that was already in my tool bag, you know, just ready to go. Well, that's the thing, unless you, unless we know what to ask for, Right, and so seeing it out somewhere else in the wild was was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you said, you alluded to the uh, the COVID map uh, provided by the Mayo Clinic, and that's that that's you know just a, a different view of kind of the same setup. Uh, you know, those tables, the map. Um, it's just reading different data, giving you different information. But the tool itself is is there's not much difference in it. So what's it's coming what's up in GIS, Larry? What's what are we going to see coming around the corner? What are you excited about? Well, our uh, Esri is constantly. It, it's like they're always in beta, right? It's like they're they're just always building bigger and better things. Um, I'm I'm currently in ArcGIS Pro, which is their latest desktop application has such a great you know, interface with, with their ArcGIS online. Um, and and the, the, the file management, the data management, to me is a lot easier. Some people are still old school and like desktop. I, you know, I can go back and forth between the two, but, but ArcGIS Pro with Esri is, is just turned out to be a great tool. I'm really excited to, to continue to learn how to use it. And uh, I've used it now for almost two years and it's just, uh, it's just a it's just a great great iteration that that uh, they've come up with and and they've just promised to devote more and more energy to it. So, um, also you know the same is true for for QGIS. Um, QGIS is constantly developing. There's new releases all the time. They they provide stable releases and then they have the the latest releases for testing purposes. So. Um, I, you know, I don't know what the future is, but it's going into every single industry. I don't know another, I don't know an industry right now where there isn't some form of mapping taking place because everything happens somewhere, right? And it's, uh, it's what do you do? Uh, how, how do you make those maps more informative? And that's the data behind that map. That's so exciting. And the fact that we're using it in emergency response, both in training and, and if the real thing happens or when the real thing happens is, uh, is why I'm doing this. It's, why, it's what drives me to do it every day. Well, I'm glad to be able to work with you. And you're going to do the COP for our 2021 drill, right? Our worst yeah, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I'm ready to go now. <laughs> <laughs> ready to go for that spill. 
Yeah. No, I don't. No, never afraid. Won't, won't want those to happen. But but we are ready. It's just great. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you, Larry Ryan, for taking the time to talk to us about uh, the common operating picture and uh, GIS and Esri and QGIS and uh, GNOME Web. Wealth of knowledge. Appreciate it. Thank you. No, thank you, Dan. And I really appreciate this this new um, podcast that you're starting. I think it's going to be very informative. And I, I'd really like to offer uh, my assistance in any way and in, in developing future podcasts and talking to people. And let's see how maybe we can integrate their specialties with, with GIS and, and come up with some new partnerships. Well, the, the, next, the next podcast is going to be uh, uh, talking about uh, drones. And of course, the data that you're getting from the drone has to be plotted uh, in GIS somewhere, the drone has to know where it is and it has to know where the thing it's looking at is. So you're right, everything comes back to, to in response, comes back to GIS. Yeah, that should be fun. All right. Thank you, Larry Ryan. Thanks, Dan. Talk to you soon. That's it for the tactics meeting. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.